0: Amen. Praise the Lord. I will switch over, fellas. This, this mic here. Thank you. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Psalm two. Psalm two. And thank you so much for your singing and for the special music today. I believe Christ has been exalted today. Amen. Psalm chapter number two. A verse has been on my mind over the last many months. And I've meditated on the verse, jotted a note here and there. And I want to bring you a collection of thoughts, if you will, and try to exalt our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning. In Psalm chapter number 2, The Bible says, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth do set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's the phrase I want you to notice this morning. The rulers, the kings of the earth, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now the heathen looks upon the truth like like the truth puts you in bondage. But I got news for you. Truth sets you free. Amen? Verse 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh i have a good friend that i don't see him very much but angelo davenport he's my buddy we went to bible college together we worked together he's a big black man he's about uh six 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 seven six something like that. he's big and huge and tall i was 145 pounds as a 10th grader until about two or three uh years into marriage marriage finally uh expanded my horizons but anyway i was about 145 pounds or so but uh we, we built a great friendship and we would uh, sometimes ride back and forth to work together. And I'd, I'd try to pick on him. He was just a mountain of a man. And I'd run up behind him and I'd jump on his back and I'd pound on him and I'd hit him as hard as I could and he would just laugh. <laughs> That's all I got out of him. Uh, we'd sit at lunch break and exchange uh, sermon ideas. But uh, I think about that when I read that little phrase in, in verse number 4, He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. You know how many people in vain... Try to beat up God and it can't be done. And God just chuckles. Verse number five Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet if I set my king upon my holy hill in Zion, I will declare the decree Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Wise up here. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the earth, from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. I speak to you this morning on the subject, the kings of the earth set themselves against Him. The kings of the earth set themselves against Him. Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, which You said was given to us to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, may Jesus be lifted up, our King of all kings. In Jesus' name, amen. I brought my phone to the pulpit this morning, and the ringer is off, so be not dismayed. To read you, I opened up the news feed this morning to read this uh, headline, and article. The Communist Chinese Party's Persecution of Christians, Arresting Believers, Demolishing Churches, Rewriting the Bible and the article is about the communist regime to try to um, control religion you know m- most most dictatorships at least give the want to give the rouge of having religious freedom one of the most impactful books i've written uh, excuse me i've read in in a number of years was a book entitled the heavenly man about a biography about a man named brother yun who was persecuted uh under uh, uh uh, and, and for his faith in Christ and one of the inch, men instrumental in the house church movement in China and uh, the the stories, first-hand stories of his torture and the horrific conditions and then the miraculous deliverance. God literally delivered him from prison by opening doors, blinding uh, soldiers who could not see him and he literally walked out of the prison, literally. It's just a miracle. It's a, a Peter kind of an event. and But I read that and I thought, you know, the kings of the earth have set themselves against the king of kings. In 884 BC, 884 years before Jesus Christ would come into the earth and be born of the Virgin Mary, a woman named Athaliah seized power over the throne. Her son had been king and he died and in order to seize power she killed all of the seed royal, which were her grandsons. Not if you can imagine. This woman at the last seized power, seeking to make the throne her own, and had all of her grandsons executed so as not To threaten her power. The Messiah was promised first in the book of Genesis when God said to Adam and Eve, The serpent will suffer a deadly blow. He will bruise your heel. But you will bruise, the seed of the woman will bruise his head. That's the first prophecy that we have of the coming Christ, our Savior. We look back by faith now that Christ has come and through the Old Testament they look forward by faith that he would come. That prophecy was further specified when we learn through the Old Testament that this promised Child would come from the household of David. He would come from the tribe of Judah and would come from the lineage of David, thus the royal lineage. And yet, this wicked woman, Athaliah, assumes the throne, and immediately upon seizing power, seeks to destroy the royal seed. And she is almost 100% successful. Now, keep in mind, had she been successful, she would have cut off the royal lineage of David, thereby leaving the world without a line for the promised Messiah. Think how closely Satan got to interrupting God's eternal plan for the ages. But Athaliah and her family was another lady. And she was a godly lady. She was married to the high priest. And her name was Jehoshabiah. And when she realized what her sister was doing, she ran right away and scooped up a little infant boy by the name of Joash. Amen. The rest of his brothers were all killed the entire royal lineage of David wiped out by a wicked queen. But what she didn't know was that Jehoshabiah and her husband hid little Joash in the house of God for six years. And when six years was over, they got the priest, they got the assemblage of people, and Joash was declared, just as a boy was declared king, and uh, boy, people were excited. What? One of David's uh, offspring is still alive. We did not realize this. And the country rallied to this boy, king And Athaliah, screamed, treason, treason. <laughs> That's like people today screaming uh, 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 tolerance, tolerance, right? And uh, uh, so treason, treason. And she was quickly executed. Matthew Henry said of this story, We have here a wicked woman endeavoring to destroy the house of David and a good woman preserving it. No word of God shall fall to the ground. The whole truth of the prophecies that the Messiah was to come from David and thereby the salvation of the world appeared to be now hung upon the brittle thread of the life of a single infant. To destroy whom was the interest of the reigning power, Athaliah. But God had purposed and vain were the efforts of earth and hell. The kings and queens of the earth to set themselves against Him. But my friend, one day you will kiss the Son. Bow before Him who is King of kings and Lord of lords. In 510 BC, a wicked man by the name of Haman right hand to Ahasuerus, king of Persia, received through manipulation of his king royal letters, ordering the destruction of all Jews. What Haman didn't know was that Ahasuerus' wife, Esther, was a Jew. And by securing these orders, he had also sentenced the queen, to death. The plot is uncovered in the book of Esther. The story is incredible. Haman is found out. Esther's cousin, Mordecai, who uncovered a plot to have the king killed and was never honored for having done so, but it was recorded in the Chronicles. And one night the king couldn't sleep and he said, Read, read, read me some of the history. And uh, they started reading history and they read about this man who saved the king's life and in an assassination attempt. He said, Well that's interesting. He said, Was that man ever uh, was that man ever uh, uh, awarded for what he did? And they said, Well, there's no record here. He said, Really? He said, Man alive. He said, We gotta we gotta reward that. He can save save the king's life. We've got to do something for him. And that was uh, it was early in the morning and, and uh and the king said, Is anybody in my uh, uh, royal court, court uh, uh, on the property right now? And someone said, Well, Haman's out there. He said, Oh good, let me ask Haman. And Haman got called in and the king said Haman uh, what should I do for what should the king do for a man in whom he delighteth?" and Haman thought well he delights in me he said, oh, I'll tell you what. put the royal robe on him. Put him on the king's horse and march him through town and have everybody bow to him. Haman had an angst because most everybody bowed to Haman except Mordecai, who was loyal to the true God and said, I don't bow to any man. I bow to God and God alone. And that stuck in Haman's craw, if you will. And uh, and so early that morning, the king said, what should I do uh, to reward a man who uh, whom, in whom I delight? And Haman said, oh, put him on the royal horse and put uh, uh, the royal robe on him and march him down the streets and let everybody bow to him. He said, that's a good idea, Haman. He said, I got a servant in court. His name is Mordecai. I don't know if you know him or not. But go get my robe and get my horse and march him through the streets. And Haman said, mm-hmm. and his bitterness against the Jewish people and against Mordecai heated, heated up even more. Haman got an idea. He said, "I'm going to get rid of him." And he got these papers. Got to, he he he, he, he uh, deceived the king. Got these royal letters to have the Jews executed on a given day. And knowing that Mordecai would be among them, he built a gallows. He said, "I'm going to oversee his execution personally. I'm going to." And he, and, and he built a gallows just for Haman. as you know the story, most of you, Esther and her Jewish brethren and the whole, all the Jews, they fasted and prayed for three days, and God gave her the strength and the courage. She went in, and she announced to the king what Haman had done. And the king was furious with Haman. And somebody said, "Oh, Haman had some gallows built to hang Mordecai." He said, "You hang Haman on those gallows. You talk about sweet justice. Wow, that's pretty. That's justice." Isn't it? But Haman and Amalek are not the only ones in history to seek to destroy the royal seat from whence would come our Messiah. As you know, wise men came to worship the baby Jesus. Herod, Herod was an incredible man; he was a master builder, but he was a vile and a wicked man. The Herods, the whole family were, were twisted, and uh, Herod uh, the Great and. And uh, here at Agrippa, these men were uh, ruthless, ruthless men. I'm talking about things like having their own children uh, executed because they felt threatened, having their own, his own wife executed because he felt threatened by her popularity and power. In Matthew chapter 2, we read the story of how that the wise men came and inquired of the king, said, hey, we understand there's a king born in your kingdom, and we've come to worship him. And he said, oh, really? He said, who's that? He said, well, it's a, he's the king of the Jews. We've seen a star in the east, and we've come to worship him. And Herod felt threatened. And Herod said, Oh, really? He said, Wow. He said, I, You know, I didn't, I, I wasn't aware of that. He said, But I would love to worship him myself. And, uh, and, uh, if you would, when you find him, be sure to come back and let me know so I can go with you and I can worship him too. This, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the wise men followed the star. And sure enough, the, uh, the star brought them to the Christ child and they brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And uh, after worshiping the Lord, they had in mind to keep their promise to go and tell the king, except an angel intervened and said, God said, you go back home another way. Don't you go to King Herod and let him know. King Herod seeks only the demise of this child king. They went home another way. When Herod found out, he went into yet another of his rages rage in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Then Herod, when he was when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth, and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coast thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Every child from the time the wise men met with Herod that were two years of age or younger, he sent his soldiers, dispatched them through Bethlehem and through all that region and had every single male child two years and under slaughtered. Why? To try in a demonic and a satanic attempt to overthrow this king, to kill him as he's just a youth. The kings of the earth do set themselves against our king. But their efforts always fall in vain. Three times that I can find in the New Testament, those who despised our Savior and King sought to kill him prematurely before his sacrificial offering on Calvary. In Luke chapter four, verses twenty-nine to thirty, they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of a hill, whereon there was city, there whereon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. They pushed him to the top of a cliff. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. They literally, the city in which he was ministering, they became furious with him more than once because of his claims, I am that I am. And uh, I and my father are one. And I I predate Abraham. And they were furious. And, and uh, uh, he asked him on one occasion, he said, uh, uh, For which of my good works do you stone me? They picked up stones to stone him. He said, uh, We stone thee not for your good works, but because thou, being a man, makest thyself good. God. They knew what his statements were. It was not ambiguous. It was not unclear. Jesus Christ was stating plainly and simply that he was God in flesh and those who would not accept him picked up stones to stone him on this occasion. And uh, reading there, uh, they took him to the brow of a cliff and began to push him off. And he just started, he just disappeared out of their sight. Can you imagine what that must have looked like? where did he go? Ready to push him off. On another occasion in John 8, I mentioned they took up stones to cast at him, but he hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them and so passed by. Can you see this angry mob with their stones? Where did he go? And he slipped away from them. Again, in John 10, uh, uh, the Bible said, he clearly lay, he said uh, clearly, no man taketh my life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and have power to take it again. The Jews took up stones again to stone him, but he escaped out of their hand on three occasions at least that we know of recorded in the New Testament. Three times they tried to kill our Savior prematurely to keep Him from going to Calvary where He would pay for our sins and three days later uh, die, be buried and borrowed tomb, and three days later rise from the dead. Athaliah a, 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 a tool a, a demonic tool of Satan himself trying to stamp out the seed royal and thereby the lineage of the Christ. Haman thought himself to do the same. Herod thought himself to do the same. The scribes the Pharisees, the religious uh, 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 crowd uh, uh, of Jesus' day, uh, uh, thought to do the same. Today, the kings of academia set themselves against our king. Do you know the Ivy League schools of our day were were started to, to train ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you know that Princeton was, was started to train preachers? Yale was started to train preachers? Do you realize that? And now they're absolutely godless. By the way, they're not just godless. They've been godless for a long time. They're godless institutions. But now they're a joke academically even. (laughs) Their academics mean nothing anymore. Hollywood have set themselves against them. Entertainers. Remember the Beatles? We're more popular than Jesus. The dictators of this world have set themselves against him. 200,000 plus estimated are in concentration camps in North Korea right now. From 1948 to present, between three and four million have died. Heads of state and dictators of years gone by have set themselves against our king. In the 1200s, Genghis Khan and his Mongol forces annihilated 11% of the world's population. Stalin murdered 30 to 60 million in the Soviet Union. Mao Zedong, between 1949 and 1976, in the quote-unquote great leap forward in China, presided over the death of between somewhere between 40 and 80 million people. Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge and the killing fields between 1974 and 1979 saw between one and a half and three million killed in Cambodia. As of about ten years ago, this is is hard to imagine, but as of about ten years ago, more than 23,000 mass graves had been discovered in Cambodia. Can you imagine that? 23,000 mass graves. And Hitler in his determination and rage against God's chosen people the Nazi regime resided over somewhere around 17 million deaths in his attempts to annihilate the Jewish people. The kings of the earth have set themselves against him. And by the way, the political opportunists of the United States of America, by and large, have set themselves against the king. They talk about being on the right side of history. What they need to be concerned about is being on God's side in eternity. More than 2,000 years ago, there was a man born contrary to the laws of life. This man lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He did not travel extensively. Only once did he cross the boundary of the country in which he lived. That was during his exile in childhood. He possessed neither wealth nor influence. His relatives were inconspicuous and had neither training nor formal education. In infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors In manhood he ruled the course of nature, walked upon the waves as pavement, and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his services. He never wrote a book, and yet perhaps all the libraries of the world could not hold the books that have been written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he's furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army nor drafted a soldier nor fired a gun. And yet no leader ever had more volunteers who have under his arm orders made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot ever being fired. He never practiced psychiatry and yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. Once each week multitudes congregate at places of worship to come and assemble and pay homage to him and show respect to him. The names of the past proud statesmen of Greece and Rome have come and gone. The names of the past scientists, philosophers and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man multiplies more and more. Though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of this generation and those who mocked him at his crucifixion, he still lives. His enemies could not destroy him and the grave could not hold him. He stands forth upon the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory proclaimed of God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints and feared by devils as the risen personal Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that babe born in Bethlehem of the Virgin Mary who went to Calvary and died in our place and rose from the dead. He lives, He lives. I know that Jesus lives. He walks with me and talks with me upon life's narrow road. He lives, He lives in my heart. Who is it? You ask. He's the name above all names, Acts 4, verse number 12. He's our mediator, John. Excuse me, 1 Timothy 2, 5. There's one God and one mediator between God and man. Listen, you and I could not approach a holy God if there wasn't somebody who could go between someone who visited this world and knew what it was to be a man and walk uh, as a man upon this earth. God in human flesh, our high priest, uh, as Hebrews calls Him, who mediates between us and a holy God and reconciles us to Him. Who is He? He's the triune God incarnate. Colossians 2, nine calls Him the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Who is He? He's the one by whom we are reconciled to God. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Who is He? He's the healer of sins, a deadly disease. For He bare in His own body our sins on the tree and by His stripes we are healed who is he he's the one who conquered death with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all who is he he's god's lamb john 129 john the baptist behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sins of the world who is he he's our passover purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are in leaven for even christ our passover is sacrificed for us when the death angel came, the tenth and final plague that God sent upon Egypt who had enslaved the nation of Israel. The flies, the grievous moraine, the darkness, on and on. But in that final fateful night, the death angel came. And God had given instructions to the people of God that a lamb was to be taken, a male lamb, without blemish. Its blood was to be shed. Its blood was then to be applied the doorpost and the mantle and the death angel would come that night in the tenth and final plague upon Egypt and any house that had the blood upon the doorpost and the mantle the Bible said the death angel would pass over. And in that night uh, screams were heard from households all over Egypt. But for those who had faith in God's Lamb symbolized by that Passover Lamb and the blood applied on the doorpost, the death angel passed by and Jesus Christ is known to us as God's Lamb, our Passover and Jesus the Lamb of God who died for us 2,000 years ago and shed His blood If you, by faith. Come and ask Him to forgive your sins and save your soul. His blood will be applied to the doorpost and mantle of your heart, and the death angel of eternity will pass over you as well. Who is He? He's the price paid for our redemption with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish. Who is He? He's our intercessor who is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing He ever liveth to make intercession. What's He like? Song of Solomon, five cities altogether lovely. Luke one said he's holy. Isaiah fifty three said he's righteous. Matthew nineteen said he's good. Isaiah eleven said he's faithful. John one said he's true. Zechariah nine nine said he's just. Isaiah fifty three nine said he's without guile. Job 8, 46 said he's sinless. 1 Peter one nineteen he's spotless. Matthew twenty seven four he's innocent. Hebrews seven twenty six he's harmless. Isaiah fifty three seven he's meek. Matthew eleven twenty nine uh, he's lowly in heart. Hebrews two seventeen he's merciful. Isaiah fifty three seven he's patient. 1 Timothy 1, 16, He's long-suffering. Luke 19, 41, He's compassionate. Matthew 4, 23, He's benevolent. John 13, 1, He's loving. Matthew 8, 20, He's self-denying. Philippians 2, 8, He's humble. Luke 23, 34, He's forgiving. Oh, He's altogether lovely. While proud dictators and tyrannical despots have set themselves against Him. While they have peddled death and presided over... The horrific slaughter of millions. Our King is light and life to all He brings. Our Savior Jesus Christ hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Second Timothy one ten. The thief cometh not but for to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, I am come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. In First John 4, 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him while the dictators force submission. And by why while the political opportunists try to do the same thing on a free country force us into submission. Jesus, our King, said, Whosoever will, let him drink of the water of life freely. Whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus will never twist your arm to believe in him. People say sometimes, don't force religion on me. Nobody can, sir. Nobody can, ma'am. It is a whosoever will gospel. While the dictators and the tyrants starve the masses, Jesus said, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth light unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The tyrants promote only themselves. And yet our king said, let this mind be in you. Which was also in Christ Jesus, who being form of God. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Took upon him the form of a servant. And was made in the likeness of men. Being found as in likeness of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The dictators, the kings, who set themselves against him, have a philosophy of administration, which is exactly the opposite of our king. You see, our king taught us that the way up is down. Whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your servant. He taught us the way to have is to give. Given it shall be given you. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel shall save it. He taught us the way to live is die and crucify with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I but Christ liveth in me. He taught us the way to power is by weakness, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God, for we are also weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you second chronicle second corinthians thirteen four he taught us the way to exaltation. It's humiliation. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Isaiah 2, 9. The great man humbleth himself. Oh, listen to me. The kings of the earth have for centuries and centuries uh, set themselves against our king, tried to erase him from the history books, uh, took him out of our school system, took prayer out of our school system. And now promoting all kinds of weird, ungodly, perverted philosophies to our children. The kings of this society, the kings of yesteryear have set themselves against Him. The Athalias and the Hamans of this world have set themselves against Him. But I got news for you. He sits this, this morning at the right hand of God the Father. And nobody can overthrow Him. And nobody can overtake Him. And He reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. And yes... That's my King, amen. That's my Savior. And I love Him this morning. I read the headlines and I think the kings set themselves against Him. Though they perpetrate horrible atrocities among mankind, one day Pol Pot's knee will bow one day, Hitler's knee will bow. One day, Stalin's knee will bow. One day, Mao Zedong's knee will bow. One day, Mussolini's knee will bow. One day, the Beatles will bow. One day, the Hollywood crowd will bow. One day, the politicians, Ma- Madeline Murray O'Hare, the Satanists, who got the Bible kicked out of our school system, That knee will bow. Every knee will bow to the King of kings and Lord of lords. My dear friend, there is no political leader. There is no dictator. There is no king that's ever lived, ever will live who can love you unconditionally like our Savior does. I invite you this morning to worship Him, to bow before Him, to express your love and devotion to Him, and to serve Him faithfully. There is a throne he desires this morning and it resides within a kingdom of perfect freedom. Did you ever consider this, that in your own mind you have the freedom given to you by God to think whatever you desire to think, to love whatever you desire to love? Surely you will give an account for it. But in this kingdom of your mind and soul, you have been given by God a free will to choose to love whatever you choose to love. The throne that Jesus desires this morning is a throne in that kingdom. The throne of my heart and of yours is the king on his throne this morning. Is Christ first in our lives. Let's bow our heads, please.